When I was um, a, a young kid, there, most people know there's very little that I won't eat, but there are a few things that I will not touch. First of all, peeps, candy corn, it's not candy or corn, um, don't care for that mess, um, and lemon stuff, I like lemonade, that's about it. I don't do lemon cake, none of that stuff. I know some of you guys make some wonderful lemon desserts, just not for me. But there's one other, is, is, and don't hate me for this, is sauerkraut. And there's a story behind this, and I want to share this story with you this morning. So when I was a little kid, um, my, my parents divorced when I was really young. We lived with my dad, um, and we weren't poor, we were po, because we couldn't afford the O.R., that's how poor we were. And, and my dad, he really worked really, really hard providing for me and my two sisters. And um, a staple in our house, a meat staple in our house, were hot dogs, like Franks. You know what I'm talking about? Wieners. That's what we had. And we had them a uh, hundred different ways. A hundred, like we had them almost every meal. And not the good ones. I'm talking like bar S. This, this is what we had. But my dad got really, really creative. We had beanie weenies. We had mac and cheese with weenies in them. We had all kinds of stuff. Well, he came home one day and he goes, I've got something new. We're going to try sauerkraut and weenies. And he proceeded to open a can of sauerkraut of the most awful smelling stuff I'd ever smelled before. Not a jar not like a cheap can of sauerkraut. And he heated this stuff up and put it on my plate. And I'm like, I'm not eating that. He says, son, this is, this is dinner. You're going to eat it. I'm, I'm not eating that. And he goes, son, this is what we have. This is supper. You either eat it or you don't eat. He said, dad, I'm not eating that. He said, at least take a bite. And I tried. Oh, did I try. Needless to say, I didn't eat that night. And, and, and I thought about this. I mean, I stood my ground because my dad was like, you need to eat, you need to eat. I'm a little boy. He goes, you need to eat. And to this day, I will not touch sauerkraut. I know some of you guys say, oh, sauerkraut is so good. Maybe there's some good sauerkraut out there. Um, I am not convinced. But, but the thing is, is I took a stand. And I couldn't help but think of 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 this, when we're going through this and thinking about this this morning, Alexander Hamilton said this, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Maybe some of you guys know the Aaron Tippin song, right? There we go. I love what Aaron says at the end of this song. He says that part of the lyrics of that, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And he says at the very end of this song, he says, what you do today, you'll have to sleep with tonight. I tell you all this story because I want, you to, I want you to think about this. What are the things that you will definitely take a stand for? And say, I'm doing that or I'm not doing that. What are the things in your life that you absolutely put your foot down, that you will fight for? What are those things? Here's what we often see today is people either take a really hard stand on things or they take no stand at all. A lot of people are very indifferent. If we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we are to take a stand. In fact, we're commanded to do so. 
We see verses like Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. You're transformed. This is what God calls us to. When we trust in the gospel, we're transformed. We don't subject ourselves to the way of the world. We stand for the things of God. Or we read verses like Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think about this, and, and I can't help but know and confirm that the gospel itself is transformative. It's not only a promise for eternal life, it is a promise for a transformed life today. In this moment, the gospel completely changes how we live and operate. And it's a call to stand for the things of God, even when the world is compelling us to do something completely and totally different. We're to stand firm, not as the world does. But we're to stand firm as Christ does. And church, that looks different. It looks a lot different. And this is what we see in our text today. So let me, let me kind of give you a recap of where we're at. If this is your first Sunday here, uh, let me tell you where we're at. We're in the book of Acts. The church has been born. Uh, God is, is really doing some amazing things through His people. Um, uh, th- there's this great persecution that's continued, but, but God continues to grow His church. There's Thousands being added, baptized, and they're, they're fellowshipping together. And, and these religious leaders are telling these folks, to, you can't keep talking about this Jesus guy. But they continue to do it, and people are coming to faith. And one of these guys was Stephen. We saw just a few weeks ago that Stephen was the first de- one of the first deacons. He was a servant of the church. He, he was a man committed to Christ's church and the growth of it through the truth of the gospel. The gospel had wrecked his life and forever changed him. Not a lot is known about Stephen other than what we read here in Acts. But what we do read is, is I would argue, is the most important part. This is what God wanted us to know about Stephen. God wanted us to know the character that, that, that Stephen was, that the gospel had made him into be, and what he stood for. We see in Acts 6, 8 that says that he was a man full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And we're going to see today in our opening passage here that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He had come to faith in his Savior, Jesus, and was forever changed. He was forever changed. The impact of Christ on his life had changed him and given him a great purpose in life. And he knew it. And he believed it. And he believed This Jesus, his faith in Jesus made him unshakable in his faith. So much so that he boldly stood in front of these religious leaders. And he pled with them to embrace the truth of the gospel. And he gave his life for it. In a very brutal way. However, even though it cost him his physical life, what he gained was a great reward. Standing ovation from the King of Kings Himself. 
This is what we see here today. And I want us to, what I want us to see here in the life of Steve, life and death of Stephen is that the truth of the gospel is life transforming and it calls us to, to confidently take a stand for the things of God. But it calls us to take a stand in a way that is not, not the way the world does. There's four things I want us to do and see here. There's, there's contrast. There's four contrasts that I want us to see in our text of these 10 verses. And it's Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 54. If you've got your Bibles open, I pray that you do. Um, if you need a Bible, there's a hardback one there. There's some really nice ones out on our welcome table. They are free. They do no good sitting on that table. So if you need a Bible, it is yours for free. I want to give you that. It's yours. Take it. They do no good sitting on that table. If you've got a Bible, let's, let's read God's Word here. Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 54. This is the stoning of Stephen. Now when they had heard these things, remember last week, those 53 verses, Stephen preached the gospel. He called them to repent. He, he showed them the truth throughout history that Christ is the King, the Messiah, the one, is, the one that has come, that they crucified. And it says, now that when they heard these things, they were enraged. These religious leaders, they were enraged. So much so that they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and and, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that, Father, your spirit just be heavy here this morning, Lord. I need you. Father, I need you to preach your truth this morning, Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, but most of all, our hearts to receive the truth of your word, Lord. May you teach us today. God, help us to stand for the goodness of who you are. Father, help us to recognize those areas where the world is trying to creep in and get us to compromise those truths. But God, help us to do it in a way that, that Jesus stood and Stephen stood. Father, help us to be like that. Father, I thank you for the goodness of who you are. I thank you that you give us your word. You give us your spirit. You've given us your son. You've given of yourself, Lord. And God, may that not go unnoticed and embraced here today. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We see a lot of contrast here in the way that these religious leaders, Saul included, who 
who were not followers of Jesus in the way Stephen stood and responded. The opposition. I think we can learn a lot about how we should stand firm in our faith and live out the gospel in our, our everyday lives. The interesting thing is no one, more than likely, no one is going to call for our life. More than likely, no one's going to drag us to a foreign city or for outside of a city, outside of Severance, and throw us down off a cliff and hurl stones at us. But we are to take a stand. We're to take a stand for the things of God. And as I prepared for this, I thought about, how, what is this, how do we do this? And, and as I looked at this, sir, I want to pull out four contrasts between these religious leaders and Stephen here. There's four, and I think this is a good thing that we can look at this morning to show us what do we stand for and how do we stand? So here's the first one. The religious leaders, this first contrast. The religious leaders, they were full of rage, but Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Did you guys catch that? Our text says that these guys, hearing what Stephen said, they were so enraged at what he said that they gnashed their teeth. They ground their teeth. You ever been that mad before? That you were grinding your teeth? That you were actually clenching your teeth so much that you were, you, you possibly chip your teeth? That's angry right there. It's angry. They were full of rage. See, Stephen's hearers were resistant and they were callous to the truth. And this was about the third time, at least, that they had heard the gospel. At least the third time that they had heard the truth of the gospel presented to them, yet their anger escalated and they continued to harden their hearts to the truth. Harden their hearts. What we see here is this is a, man, this is just a worldly and selfish response. Harden their heart to the truth. Like a child that can't have his own way and he throws himself to the floor in a tantrum. Anybody ever experienced that before? This is the adult version of that. They didn't like what Stephen was telling them. Even though they knew it was the truth, they couldn't, they couldn't argue what he was saying was not truth. So they ground their teeth. They stopped their ears. They don't want to hear it anymore. La, 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 this is what they're doing. Like a child. These men were confronted with the truth of their sin, and it greatly offended them. Because they were unwilling to admit, there was, admit that, that, that this was the truth, the response was rage, and it did no one any good. In fact, those that continued in the rejection of the gospel will forever gnash their teeth. Let me say that again. Those that continue and forever reject the gospel, they will gnash their teeth for all eternity. Jesus talks about this, Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42. It says, the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out His kingdom and, cause, uh, and all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Stephen did just the opposite. Stephen didn't gnash his teeth. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. In sharp contrast, Stephen, he remained calm. He didn't get angry. 
He told the truth. He did call them stiff-necked. But he had great compassion for these men. He was totally yielded to the Holy Spirit's control. Totally yielded. He could have said, hey, sorry. But he didn't. He was yielded to the Holy Spirit's control. This is kind of how Stephen rolled. This is the way of life for him. He trusted in the Spirit's leading him. He trusted in it. He knew that the Holy Spirit was in him. And he trusted in it. He leaned into it. He knew that the Holy Spirit has empowered him to do these things. Who does this? One empowered by the Holy Spirit does this. Stephen, Stephen had confidence in who Christ is. He was sealed. In fact, the Holy Spirit is a seal, a promise of salvation when God saves us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, says this, Paul says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is what we see in Stephen here. He's willing to face death. Look death in the face and going, I have life. I have eternal life. What is this life? See, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of godly living in believers on a daily basis. But, but what we see here in Stephen, it certainly did that in Stephen. But what we see here in Stephen, it provides a special grace in times of crisis. We have to lean into that and trust in that. And Stephen, Stephen embraced the life of the Spirit in him. He trusted it and he followed the leading of the Spirit and it allowed him to do just the opposite of these religious leaders. You see, these religious leaders, they were full of hate because they were given into their flesh. Yet Stephen, Stephen was full of compassion in the Holy Spirit because, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why do we give in to the flesh? Why don't we lean into the Holy Spirit? This seal, this promise. It would do us well to study the things of the Holy Spirit. I think this is something that, that we don't know enough about, really. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. The person of God that is here with us now is the Spirit. We'll see this here in just a moment when Stephen gazes into heaven. The person of God is the, that's with us now is the Holy Spirit. It's with us. There's so many promises in Scripture about the Holy Spirit as our God. It convicts us of sin. It comforts us. It leads us. It directs us. It gives us words to say and Things to do and conviction. But so often we're like these religious leaders. When somebody says something we don't like, we get filled with rage and we grind our teeth at them. God help us to be like Stephen. To not trust our flesh and be selfish, but to trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit. A big contrast here is what we see, the way Stephen stood. 
in the way these religious leaders do. Here's the next thing. The religious leaders were willing to destroy life to save their own way of life. But Stephen, Stephen was willing to give his life for the sake of others. When the religious leaders had had enough, they wanted to hear no more. And they'd given over to their selfish rage. And I mean selfish. It is about them. They committed to destroy Stephen. They drug him out of the city. And they hurled rocks at his head. Until he was dead. They killed him. Stephen did call them stiff-necked, and he rightly accused them of denying the truth. The gospel, what we see here is the gospel was an assault against their way of life and their self-righteousness. That was their way of life. They loved their lifestyle. They were in control because it was centered around them, and they did not want to, they didn't want to give that up, and they were willing to protect it at all costs, even taking an innocent man's life again. We even see this, how they carried out the stoning of Stephen. If a little bit of study, let me give you a little bit of history lesson or a little bit of study on the stoning of Stephen. Stoning was legal, but it had to be done the right way. See, blasphemy was, was stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. But what we see here, the stoning of Stephen was mob violence. It wasn't carried out the right way. What we see here is the, the self-righteousness of these leaders and how they carried out the stoning of Stephen. They didn't have the authority to stone Stephen. If you look back just a little bit in, in the Gospel of John, before Christ was crucified in John 18.31, they didn't have the authority to stone, to, to kill Jesus. They had to get permission from the Roman government. However, here with Stephen... They drug him out of the city first. This is important too because in Leviticus 24.14, this was, this was the law. When you're going to stone someone, it says, bring out of the camp the one who, who's cursed and let all who, who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. See, what they're doing here is that we're going to make it look good. We're going to make it look like we're doing the right thing. We're not going to do it right here. We're going, to, we're going to do what the law says, and we're going to drag him outside the city. Even though we don't have the authority to do it, we're going to make ourselves look good and righteous and self-righteous. We're going to drag him out of the city. Before they stoned him, our text says that the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of Saul. Deuteronomy 17.7 commanded that the witnesses be the first to throw the stones, and perhaps these false witnesses were just that. So they took their garments off and laid them down at the feet of Saul. We're going to make it look really good. These religious leaders, they were willing to take the life of a man that they could not deny was telling the truth just to protect their own way of life. And they tried to make it look legit. Stephen, on the other hand, Stephen willingly gave up his life for the sake of others. One being Saul. 
gospel compelled him to do this. Do you see how Stephen took a stand by laying down his life? Stephen didn't run away. He didn't curse back at his accusers. He didn't pick a stone up and throw it back. Look at what he did. Look at what he did. Look at our text of what he did. It says he fell to his knees and he pleaded with God. He called Jesus to receive his spirit and he prayed that God would not hold the sin against him before he fell asleep. He willingly gave his life over for the sake of others. That's taking a stand empowered by the Holy Spirit for the gospel, laying his life down for others. He followed his Savior Jesus. And even his final words were very similar to Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen knew that his life was hidden with Christ, he knew that his eternity was secure. But these unbelievers that were hurling stones were condemned to hell, and he was willingly, willingly laid his life down that maybe, maybe they would come to faith. Stephen, it was worth it. God would use his given life. The garments were laid at the feet of a religious scholar and persecutor of the church, Saul. Very educated man, that God would radically transform. No doubt God used the life and death of Stephen to convict Saul. It would be Paul, we know as Paul, that he would come to faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote probably about two thirds of the New Testament, we see him speak of this in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 16. This is what he says. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly, listen to what He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Remember what they were accusing Stephen of? This is blasphemy. This is blasphemy what you're saying. But Paul is saying, no, no, that was me. Stephen was right. I was a blasphemer. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Look at what he says. I, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Paul says, I want to be like Stephen. He prays for this often, and he doesn't actually say that, but in his prayer he says, I want to lay my life down for the sake of others, for the sake of God's kingdom. I want to lay it down for them. I couldn't help but just thinking about this, the story of Jim Elliot. Do you guys know you might know who Jim Elliott is. A missionary. He's a missionary to Ecuador. In 1956, he lost his life. Trying to share the gospel. 
In fact, he, 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 I encourage you to read the story of Jim Elliot. Just Google it. It is worth reading. The guy was sold out for the Lord. He and a few others, they had landed on a beach in a river in Ecuador to reach a, a very violent tribe that lived in the jungle there. In fact, this tribe had killed people before they had come to try to, to reach them, and they had dropped supplies off, and they had tried to communicate through a loudspeaker with a plane to these folks, and they'd had a kind of a, a, a small encounter on one day, and then the next day as they're on the beach of this river, filled with joy, thinking they're going to meet these this tribe of people that lived there, this violent tribe. Jim Elliott and the men that were with him were speared to death. In their possession were firearms, loaded guns, but they chose not to use them. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because Jim Elliott and the men that he were with do Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the men that they were contacting, this tribe that they contacted, did not know Jesus. And if they were to take the life of these people, that meant that they would be condemned to hell for all eternity. But Jim Elliott and companions, Willingly gave their life up because it was secured with Christ Jesus. If you continue reading the story, you'll know that Jim Elliott's wife and some others went back, and the very man that hurled a spear at Jim Elliott came to Christ. And he's a believer. And he thanks God that Jim Elliott gave his life for his. And here's some famous words of Jim Elliot. This is what he says. He says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Think about the way we take a stand. Do we take a stand by willingly laying our lives down for others? Here's number three. The unbelieving religious leaders received God's wrath. Yet Stephen was blessed by God. These religious leaders, they denied the truth of the gospel. And denial of that truth leads to the eternal wrath of God. I tell you this because I love you. I tell you this truth because I love you. This is why every Sunday you hear the gospel preached from this pulpit. And if you do not, you need to tell us. Because it is the gospel that saves and it is the gospel that lays the foundation of how we are to live. And without faith and truth in who Jesus is, which is the gospel, wrath lays upon you. John 3.18 says this, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I don't know if I can put it any plainer than that. Many of these, these religious leaders, they died in their self-righteous denial of the truth of the gospel. Except for Saul. These unbelievers, they were cast in the outer darkness where the fire is never quenched, the worm is never full, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth that never ceases. 
This is their reward for that denial. The rebellion. This is their reward for taking the stand that they took. But not for Stephen. Not for Stephen. I love this picture. It says that he gazed into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And a standing ovation from the King of Kings. Most of Scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I think Luke gives us a great picture of the joy that Jesus had in Stephen. When he says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Stephen had a great, great privilege. He was one of the few that get a glimpse into heaven before entering it, like Isaiah and Ezekiel and John and later the Apostle Paul. The text says that Stephen fell asleep. I like that too. I think Luke does us a favor by giving us a picture of the death of a faithful believer. Falling asleep, peacefully and calmly, he slipped into the presence of the Lord. Although a violent situation is going on around him, stones are being hurled at his head. He falls asleep, peacefully and calmly, slipping into the presence of the Lord. I can't help but think of that the words of Jesus were repeated in Matthew 25 when Stephen entered the kingdom. For here's God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Sleep is a great way to describe the death of a believer. It's eternal rest in the presence of an unhindered glory of God. For all eternity. It takes a believer from the woes of this world, the weariness of a broken world, of sin, of work, and its effects and its eternal rest in the goodness of God. This is what it is. A believer should not fear giving his life over for the benefit of God's kingdom, but consider it an honor because what we get is eternal glory, unhindered glory of God. Without all the junk of the world, this is the death of a believer. We should not fear that. As believers should not fear these things. We should consider it an honor. Stephen not only gave his life over to God's, God's glory and death, but also gave his life over in the way that he lived. We see in the life of Stephen a great example of what it means to be transformed in life and death of the gospel. And here's the fourth thing I want to point out here. The world desires to suppress the truth of the gospel in all ways, in all aspects. But God grows His kingdom through hardships. You'll notice in our, our, our passage of Scripture that there in, in chapter 8, here's this persecution of the, the church. In verse 1 it says, And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And it looked as though evil was winning. But this is the way God works. This is the way God works. It's His plan all along. We see that this great persecution of the church arose that day. Believers were scattered. 
It's those, it seems as though the enemy was winning, but God's plan is to grow his kingdom through these hardships. It's just, we can see this today. You think about where the church is persecuted, is where in the world today is where it's growing the most. Maybe we could use a little persecution. Amen. Maybe we could use a little bit of hardship to draw us to our knees, to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, to make us bold in our faith, to give us, to make it where we have to take a stand for something. This is the way God works. The gospel message. Let's kill the Messiah. Let's kill this Jesus who's performing all these miracles, who's done nothing wrong, but he's going against our way of life. Let's kill him. And we did. But praise God, God brings salvation to the death, burial, and praise God, the resurrection of Christ the King. The way God works. The world hates the gospel. They're not, the world is not indifferent to the gospel. Don't let them fool you with that. The world hates the gospel because it goes against everything of the world. It does everything to destroy the truth because the world is man-centered. The gospel? The gospel is God-centered. And here's the beautiful thing. God does not lose. He wins. He wins, even when the world says you are losing. We have the words of Stephen, the, the life of Stephen today, and we look at this and going, look at, look at how God used the life and death of Stephen. Look at how God has used the life, death, and burial and resurrection of Christ our King. This is what we see here. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? As we said before, the gospel is transformative. It's transformative. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little personal today. Is that okay? The gospel is transformative. It should be. It should radically transform our lives. It's not something that, oh, I'll accept Jesus and I got my ticket to heaven and I can go and live the way that I, I want to or live the way it was before. If that's the way you are living now, I would plead with you to trust in Jesus because that is not what God calls us to. I would question whether your faith was in Christ. The gospel calls for radical transformation. The gospel calls for us to stand up for the truth of the gospel, but do so in a way that is contrary to the world. There are four things here I want to pull out, and we're going to get a little personal here this morning if I can. Here's the first one. The gospel calls us to trust in the Holy Spirit and not quench it or suppress it. So often we give in to rage when we meet opposition. We resist the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is, I want to do it my way. They're, they're saying these things about me or I'm offended. And I'm going to react out of my flesh. This is, this is what Paul says about this in Ephesians 4, 30-32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor 
and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul's saying, trust in the Holy Spirit. Don't live like the world. Your enemy hates you. You love them. Someone has a different political view from you. You don't hate them. You love them. You don't have to agree with them. You love them. How often do we seek the leading of, of God the Spirit in our life? How often? How often do we plead with God, I, don't, I want to respond the right way, or I want to stand for something. I want to stand for the ways of you, but I don't know how to do it. I need you to empower me. This is what we see in these early believers. They're standing for the truth of who God has called them to be. And Christian, this is what we are called to do as well. But it looks different than the world does. We don't do it in rage. We don't do it in name calling. We're not called to win arguments. We're called to win people. This is what we're called to, Christian. We need to put this bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slammer, slander away. We're to be kind to one another. We're to be tender-hearted. We're to forgive those that persecute us. To love one another and forgive. Christian, this is how we take a stand for the things of God. It doesn't mean we agree. We have to go along with the things of the world. But it means we take a stand in grace and mercy. We don't compromise truth. We stand for truth. Do we pray about the things that anger us? Or are we quick to respond in rage? Do we long for the good direction and discipline of God through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we trusting in the leading of God? Here's the second one, and here's, I think I didn't get personal now. Here we go. The gospel calls us to give our lives over for the sake of others. Your life is not your own if your hope and trust is in Christ. It's not yours. It is His. And it is God's to do whatever He wants to with it. And we are to live open-handed. Our lives are hidden with Christ. And here's my question. How are we giving our lives over for the sake of the gospel? Here's what I mean by that. Husbands, look at me for just a moment. How are you giving your life over for your wife? Over the past week, I've had a conversation at least five times with men of, what does it look like to be a godly husband? You look at Ephesians 5, you, you love your, your wife as Christ loved the church, laying His life down for her. Husbands, are you doing that? Convicted myself. Are we laying our lives down for the goodness and the sake of our wives and our children? Are we taking 
the blows of the world on the chin to protect our wives and our kids? Are we standing at the doors of our homes? Are we laying our lives down at the doors of our homes and saying, this garbage is not coming in my home because it's destructive? Husbands, it's our job. Fathers, it's our job to be the pointy end of the stick of that. Why? How are you loving and encouraging your husband to be the man that God has called him to be, not the man the world has called them to be? The man that God has called them to be. When the world is raging at your door, how are you leaning into the back of your husband and whispering in his ear, hold fast. I'm here. Hold on. Children. How are you honoring your, your parents? Do you listen? Do you trust them? Are you desiring godly instruction? You say to your parents, hey, can we talk about this book just a little bit? How are we laying our lives down for, the, for those that God has called us to? How are we laying our lives down for, for our enemies? How are you loving those that Maybe you get in a Facebook rant with. <laughs> How are you loving those that are struggling and wrestling in sin and, and claiming and telling you that we're just, you're just not sensitive to my way of life? How are you laying your life down for those people that are so in, entrenched in sin that it is ruining their lives and they can't even see it? Are we laying our lives down for them? Are we willing to sacrifice our time and even our own persecution to love them, to, to build a relationship with maybe the, somebody that has a totally different lifestyle with you that is contrary to God's Scripture? You're wanting to deny what God's Word says that Maybe it's a gender issue or a marriage issue and you're looking and going, that is so wrong. Are you laying your life down for these people to build a relationship with them, to tell them the truth? Are we willing to do that? How well are we giving our lives over for the sake of our families? Our wives, our children, our neighbors, and our enemies. Number three, the gospel calls us to seek the blessings of God and not settle for the junk of the world. And that's my terminology because it's junk. The best thing that this world has to offer is garbage compared to the glory of God. What are areas of our life that you are settling for less than what God desires for you? Honestly. You ever sat down with your family and going, and maybe ask the question, what does God want to do with us? 
Not, hey, I can retire in 10 years. What do we want to do? Summer's coming. You're planning a vacation. Well, what do you guys want to do for vacation? You ever thought about just sitting down with your family and going, hey, what does God want to do with our summer? What does God want to do with this week of vacation that I have? You ever ask the question, maybe, what what does God want to do with our home? (laughs) What does God want to do with the resources that I have here rather than settling for the junk of the world? See, the gospel compels us to seek the blessings of God and settle for the junk of the world. Are we giving and sharing and caring for others? What does God want to do with open hands? Open hands! The gospel calls us to live with open hands, not clenched hands and going, God, this is mine. You can't touch this, but I'll give you this little bit over here. Stephen didn't do this. His whole life stood there and took stones hurled at his head. His whole life, and this is God, this is what you want from me. I'm willing. It's yours for your glory and my good. What was the last time we asked that question? What does God want to do with my life? One thing I regret is not asking that question sooner in my life. I'd have probably been to northern Colorado a lot sooner. Here's the last. The gospel calls us to stand firm by humbly loving others, even in the face of opposition. Sounds very similar to these others, but I want to reiterate it. The gospel calls us to stand firm by humbly loving others. Humbly loving others in the face of opposition. I couldn't help but think of 1 Corinthians 13, one that's read at weddings quite often, but the first three verses are so good. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have, not, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to, remo- to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I get, give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let me remind you of the way Stephen opened his speech back in Acts 7. He called these men that would hurl stones at his head and bring about his physical death. He called them brothers and fathers. He had deep compassion for these guys. He loved them. And he cared for them. And you think about his final words. God, do not hold the sin against them. Very similar to Christ's words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All of this is born out of love. Love. This is, do you know why I tell you that I love you all the time? No, one thing is, is I do. <laughs> your first day here. I just tell you, I love you. I'm glad you're here. The other thing is, I want you to know it. 
want you to know that I love you. And how are we doing this? How are we, what are we communicating with this? Because here's the thing. We can have all the knowledge and all of this stuff in our mind and in our head. And we can say and do all the right things. But if we are not doing it out of love, it is, Paul says, like a gong banging that no one hears. No one. You know what they hear? Humble words spoken out of love. Deeds born out of love. And that love is born out of the love that God has given us. Church, this is how we stand. This is how we stand. This is how we take a stand. It's how we do it. We do it on our knees. We do it on... Praying, we say not compromising truth, but we do it coming alongside others. We give our lives over for the sake of others. We don't seek the blessings of the world. We seek the glory of God. We, We seek those things. We trust in the Holy Spirit, not in what man says, but we trust in what God says. This is how we stand as believers. And if it costs us our physical life, we win. We win. This is what it means to take a stand for the gospel. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment and allow our worship team, Mark and Shelby, to come back up here and we're going to sing. But I want you to think about these things. I want you to ask yourselves these questions. Pray. Spend some time praying. God, God show me these areas of my life where or I'm doing this wrong, I'm not taking a stand for anything, or maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, that maybe God would reveal those things, repent of those things, confess and repent of those things. And trust in the Holy Spirit to lead you. And Think about and commit to lay your life down for the sake of God, for the sake of others. And if you're here this morning, maybe some of this stuff is so weird and foreign to you, Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you meet Him today because all of this He has done for you. You deserve God's wrath. But Christ has taken that upon Himself. And all it takes to inherit the kingdom of God, to be saved, is put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus. Commit your life to Him. That's what this means, that He would transform you and your affections will be first and foremost for your King of kings and Lord of lords. And if that's you here today, I pray that you you do that today. That God calls you unto Himself. But for the rest of us, may we examine our lives today. As Paul says before taking the Lord's Supper, examine ourselves and confess those things to God that the Holy Spirit would transform us. Take the stand to be the the men and women that God has called us to be for His kingdom, His glory, and our good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for Stephen and how You've used him. God, even here this morning, how You have used this man. How He willingly gave His life over for the sake of others. Father, I pray that you would make us more like him. God, help us to...
trust in your Holy Spirit. I pray that it's working right now in conviction and direction. God, help us to do this. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Father, for those that are far off from you, that are like those religious leaders, they're rebelling against you. They don't want to accept the truth. Lord, I pray that you would just wreck their hearts. That they would see the truth. As, as the Apostle Paul did, he would see Jesus. That he would, God, I pray that you would knock people over this morning in their hearts, that you would, you would call them to repentance. And you would call them to salvation. They would embrace you as their Lord and Savior. They would live their lives glorifying you for your glory and their good. But God, for us, Lord, help us to be. Help us, oh God. Help us to see the areas of our lives where we desire the things of the world over the things of your kingdom. Help us to have good conversations today and throughout the week that we ask questions. God, what do you want to do with with our summer, with our vacation, with our resources. God, what do you, what would you have us to do? And may we find great joy in handing those things over to live open-handed, to take a stand for the gospel. Father, help us as husbands and fathers to be the men that you've called us to be. Not weak men, but, but meek men. Men that stand up for their families. Guard our homes against the, the thrashing of the world at our doors. God, help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Help us to care for our kids in a way that is glorifying to you. And Father, for the wives here too, may they submit to their husbands as their husbands submit to you. God, make us men that our wives long to submit to. They would follow and encourage Father for our families would you make our families kids make them live for the glory of your name oh God stir our affections for you as we take of your Lord's Supper today and it's in Jesus holy precious name that we pray